0: progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law
1: thanks for listening to uncle sam's soccer podcast keeping you up to date with the latest in american soccer and don't forget to subscribe Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Steven Jodrand. Joining me, as always, is Amonkify. And guess who's back? Jake Watroba. On this episode, we discuss whether or not the International Champions Cup is worthy. And it's meaning to U.S. soccer. Yahoo! Sports writer and U.S. Men's National Team insider Doug McIntyre joins us to chat more on the Davies move. To Bayern Munich. And finally, we look at something controversial. Maybe you haven't even heard of it. It's regarding U.S. soccer. Now, before we get to today's show, I do want to remind you to follow us on Twitter, UncSamSoccerPod. I, myself, Steven Joderant, at ArmandKafai, at Jake Watroba. We always enjoy your feedback, your commentary, so continue to send those in. You can find the show on any major podcast platform. And if you haven't done so, check out the mini series on the potential relocation of the Columbus crew and my roundtable discussion with Peter Wilt, Eric Stover, and Nicholas Mendola on lower division soccer. It's worthy of a listen, giving you insight into lower division soccer never heard of before. But let's get to today's show. All right, boys. The International Champions Cup. Little trivia for you. When was it created?
0: 2012.
1: 2013. 2013. Ding, ding, ding. It was created by a bloke named Stephen M. Ross and Relevant Sports. They organized the Guinness International Champions Cup, the ICC, transforming the standard of European club preseason soccer into something, quote, remarkable, a competitive, World-class tournament. 2004, I think, was really when it (laughs) was at its all-time high. It expanded here in the United States, had a ton of powerhouses, and it had the U.S. record-breaking crowd of 109,318 fans at the University of Michigan's Big House, where Manchester United defeated Real Madrid in the largest soccer match in U.S. history. 2015, it went global going to Australia and China. And he, today, here it is, reaching literally all aspects of the world. Armana Jake, when it first began, were you excited for this? I'm
2: going to be honest with you, Chief. I haven't cared about the International Champions Cup ever since inception. Uh, I know uh, they're, they're, it has created some buzz. I know I think Real Madrid played, uh, I think it was Roma in the cotton ball in 2015 and a lot of, uh, people in the Dallas area went there. And I know Barcelona and uh, Roma are playing here this year. <laughs> Honestly, I don't care. I don't even watch it on TV. Um, I'd much rather watch the SKC-FC Dallas match that was on last night than any of those ICC matches. There. There's preseason warm-ups. I mean, what else is there to expect? Competitive soccer? No. I don't see that at all.
0: Yeah, I... Uh... The only time I've ever been excited for it was two years ago when it came to Minneapolis. Um, I saw Chelsea play AC Milan. So that was pretty cool at the time. Obviously, I'm a Chelsea fan too. So I got to see Chelsea in person, which was which was you know something I've always wanted to do, albeit I would prefer if it was at Stamford Bridge. But um, that has really been the only time I've been excited about it. Uh, I know Spurs and AC Milan are playing here i think it's on tuesday and i can tell you i couldn't give
1: a bleep about it here's a headline from a couple of days ago july 20th 2018 forbes.com american soccer's future may be in trouble can the international champions cup help save it yosef weitzman
3: he goes on
1: <laughs> to talk about how the international champions cup could benefit u.s soccer this
0: this is the hottest take of uh, hot take. 2018. <laughs> yeah, this point This might. Yeah, if there's like a hot take award, um, this might win the 2018 hot take award. I think this is
1: such a false paradox. How? how uh, somehow, preseason European soccer is going to and exi- it's going to ignite U.S. soccer.
2: Dude, people don't care about it. People don't even show up. The tickets are ridiculously expensive. Okay, you, you might just point me and say, oh, look, the big house. Man United, Liverpool, everyone showed up. 102000 That's like the exception this year. Like, all the stadiums have been empty from what I've been seeing because people don't
1: care. No no, 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 no. The thing is, U.S. soccer has absolutely no connection to European soccer. It, there, It's a false paradox. The issue is with MLS and lower division soccer in America. That's where it feels from, okay? And, and and guess who's going to these games? It's not your neutrals. It's people who follow the teams. They might right. be Euro snobs, but it's definitely not a neutral who <laughs> care less about <laughs> soccer in America. It, it's such a false paradox. Jurgen Klopp, to bring together 100,000 people to watch a football game, that says a lot. I don't think they all flew <laughs> from Europe. I'm sure most of them are in America. That is a good sign. Yeah. Like, they're, diehard
2: it's like, they're diehard Liverpool fans from twenty sixteen.
1: <laughs> I, I just it, it's a false paradox in the sense that it ignites US soccer. By the way, that record hundred plus thousand in two thousand fourteen between Real Madrid and I think what, Manchester United. Could yeah. you guys tell me in two thousand fourteen who the MLS champ was? Is that real public? No, it was SKC, wasn't it? Nope, nope. i give you guys one more chance. Was,
2: it, was SKC 2013? Uh, it was the uh, Los because, Angeles because, because, Galaxy of Anaheim. Yeah, it, was Gal- it was Galaxy because <laughs> Portland won in 2015, Seattle won in 2016, Toronto won in 2017. Okay, who was the top you scorer that year?
0: Either. Who was the what?
1: Top scorer. He's still in the league oh. today.
0: 2014?
1: Yeah. Was it Wando? No. BWP? Yeah. Who won the Supporter Shield? Red Bull? No, Seattle. My my point being is we had 107,000 show up in in 2014 for a damn friendly. Did that really fuel U.S. soccer? No. The, the, The ICC... Is of no relevance to U.S. soccer and its growth here in America. It does nothing. Do you realize what a bad look it is on to turn on ESPN? You have Bayern Munich and Manchester City, and an an Alabama <clears throat> native going through the Dallas Academy system, starting a friendly, and it was a bleep show on on TV. It was empty. The stadium. You could hear the players yell at each other.
0: Can I- let me there um there's only one scenario in which it helps u.s soccer and that is when and this ha- this is ha- this happened when i w- went to it two years ago when it's when a match is being played in a newly constructed nfl stadium that is the only time it's helping u.s soccer and the reason that is it cost me at the time i think 80 bucks and you guys can rip me for this. 80 bucks for a seat to see Chelsea AC Milan to sit in the third deck. That is expensive for a preseason friendly. I, I know. However, if I wanted to go see the Vikings play at US Bank Stadium in 2015 or 16, whatever year it was, I could have paid probably three times that amount to um, to sit where I sat. So you get to, for every person that's just going there to see the new stadium, uh, I have to believe a large chunk of them aren't. Soccer fans. So, in the same sense, that you are exposing, potentially exposing, um, the game and the sport to uh, a new audience. So that's the only way I can see it being uh, a positive for U.S. soccer. But they're playing at Levi Stadium or whatever, and they're have, I Jeez, mean, that friendly, they had one, what, what uh, 5, San Jose, there? San Jose, and Man United. They said thirty. 30.
2: Oh.
1: Oh.
0: <laughs> well, it, looked, it looked like a kickoff for the 49ers game. There was nobody there.
1: <laughs> 16,000 showed up for <laughs> Dortmund versus Benfica in Pittsburgh. 16? 16. And this Pulisic is Pulisic not playing? Pulisic played. <laughs> Wait, what? They only got 16,000? Yeah. Uh, no, That's but, close
0: to Pittsburgh wow. versus Pennsylvania.
1: Exactly. The, what I'm telling you is ICC does nothing. And, and, and the fact that the article continues or did mention how you know the world cup the the ratings were down time zones US men's national team not there it, it, yeah that has a lot to do with it okay i don't the icc for me look i
2: regardless of you know if it helps us soccer or not i think it's just like i don't care you know i'd much rather watch mls i think we'll rather, all like I'd, that I, I think i'd much rather watch mls i know steven i know you've kind of changed uh from back in the day when you uh, hated MLS, but now would you like admit you, you'd much rather watch MLS
1: than an
2: ICC
1: match, right? Um, I, I think even back then, I, it depended on who was playing. I think you know, if I like Liverpool versus Man United, Shakiri's there. I think I would go just for the fact that he's a Swiss player. That's the only reason why I would go to one of these friendlies is to see if I can get one of the Swiss players to come over and chat with me.
2: What, What? Reto Ziegler or uh, Philips uh, Senderos isn't good enough for you? No, but if you
1: go yeah. back to the well, – no, no, no. But if you go back to 2000 and what, thirteen, fourteen, 14 when this was created. But much I would rather watch MLS now. There's no meaning to these friendlies. It is – it's not even a fun product to watch. Like I, I, I don't get why fans spend $80 <laughs> on these tickets – watch you know even Josie marino said why watch these games
2: so let me, let you me, play have... devil's, let me sorry jake let me play devil's no. advocate real quick she said no <laughs> uh, uh but let mls a lot of the games don't have meaning until later so what makes them more what makes them more different than
0: ICC. Here, yeah, here's... I watched a pretty. I watched a pretty meaningless DC United versus Colorado Rapids game last night. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> it's about <it's> as <laughs> meaningless <laughs> as Dortmund
1: versus uh, Benfica. Well, let me let me, <laughs> let me let me let me tell you why. The reason why these game like for the reason, the reason why the games I think played at Ann Arbor, yes, it's a big stadium, but there's no MLS market there. Think about it. I think there's more of a g- g- there's more of a draw. To non MLS markets with these friendlies because, you know, you got an MLS game going on. Why wash a friendly? I also I also wonder. Think about it, the league has transformed through the years. I just mentioned who the winner was. Do you know how many how many teams were in MLS in 2014? Eighteen. I think it's nineteen. Anyway, uh, where do you see this ICC tournament going in the future? It'll still be here.
2: I think it'll still be here no matter what. I think there's always a market for people who wants to see their glorious Manchester United play um, in uh, Ann Arbor. I, I, there will always be a place. There's always a place to make money. Um, now, will it have relevance? I, I don't think so. I think more people are starting to say, hey, we'd rather watch MLS than the ICC. But I still think it always is a place, especially the U.S. market and, you know, how many people just refuse to watch MLS but uh, will watch uh, the Premier League like uh their life is
1: online. is cheaper tickets a good way to go about it though do you think they'd be able to sell out say a July oh, stadium i think so it's
2: ridiculous it's ridiculous to make making like, a premium or something like they have to realize like there's there's almost like no demand right cuz think about it there's no demand for it so i mean for MLS clubs, they're increasing their prices for teams because there is a demand, and it's incre- and, and it's increasing. There's no demand for this stuff right now, man. I mean, what do we see at Levi Stadium? There's no one there, no one. There's no sixteen thousand Pittsburgh versus our Pittsburgh versus Benfica versus Dortmund. Christian Pulisic is from Pennsylvania, yet they're going at sixteen thousand. Come on, man. Come on. You can't be making your tickets like ninety bucks and then expecting people to show up and there's like no demand for it. No one cares. No one cares to watch insert player that wears like number sixty seven or something because a youth
0: player. Well, like, the audience, cares? the audience also knows that it's a preseason tournament too, and you're not going to see the uh, the mainstays on on the in both clubs. So you in also that won't regard, it's like competitively, it's not gonna, right? You, yeah, you're right, though. Like, the price has something to do with it. But if you're going to tell me that I'm going to go to see uh, Liverpool play and I'm going to see their U23 team on the field, like, I I don't care. I want to see Mo Salah. You know, I want to see Sadio Mane. I want to see Roberto Firmino. I don't, I don't care to see random player from the youth academy. You know, like, people I, – I, I think at first it was a cool thing, you know, but if it goes to Ann Arbor every year. If it goes to San Francisco every year, and you're getting the same C squads year after year, the ticket prices are 80 bucks, 90 bucks, 100 bucks. However, might, might however much it might be, people are going to get turned off by it. Now, we'll, you know, I'll see on Tuesday how it is here in Minnesota. I think the tickets are reasonably priced in the lower bowl, 37 bucks. I don't think that's I don't think that's terribly uh, expensive to see Spurs play ac milan now i'm not gonna go oh because i don't care to see spurs or ac milan and i know that tottenham it basically always was only bringing uh son and uh erickson to uh <laughs> north america so but i kind of I, I mean i can kind of see this tournament kind of fading away here in a few years just because of if you're only drawing people to ann arbor I mean, is that enough to make sure that the the tournament keeps coming stateside? I don't think so.
1: No, no, you're right. Then I'm going to leave you guys with this statistic. And a Gallup poll was taken uh, early 2000, late 2017 was released uh, early 2018, and soccer among all adults is seven percent popular. Soccer is seven percent popular, two percent behind baseball. And you look at the thirteenth at 34 year old bracket. Soccer is tied with basketball in popularity. Now, football is miles ahead. But it's, the people who are saying soccer is dying, some have suggested the the poll numbers regarding youth participation in soccer is declining. Sure, but I think soccer is only trending up. Just look at the fan bases. Look at MLS expansion. Look at lower division soccer. It's growing, and people like the sport because it's it's a whole different conversation for a whole other day people like the sport and once you get hooked it's kind of hard to go away up next is doug mcintyre Joining us to continue our conversation from last episode is Doug McIntyre. He is a U.S. Men's National Team insider for Yahoo Sports. You can follow him at by Doug McIntyre. Doug, how's it going?
3: Pretty good, pretty good, guys. How are you?
1: Doing well. Yeah, we're doing we're doing well. And recently
2: in MLS, we've been hearing. We talked last episode, Stephen, about Alfonso Davies' transfer to Bayern Munich, and Doug, you've been all over this story. We actually saw him score twice last night. What'd you make of his performance last night?
3: Yeah, unbelievable performance. And if you if you haven't seen the highlights, go check them out now. I mean, clearly a guy that's uh, that's feeling it after um, you know the, the record-breaking MLS record-breaking transfer, uh, a deal that could. It ended up being well north of twenty million dollars U.S. Um, is uh, was announced. He's on his way to Bayern at the end of the year, uh, and he comes back to uh, to the Whitecaps after having missed three games while that deal was uh, completed. And he has two goals and two assists against Minnesota, and both of his goals, guys. I mean, just just unbelievable individual efforts. You know, dancing through defenders um, before scoring. He, he's the real deal. He he really is, and and. I think there's a real chance that he can go to Bayern and and compete for minutes in the short term, uh, in the second half of the season. That's how good I I think he is, and that's you know obviously we're talking about one of the very best club teams in the world. Um, But I I spoke to Davies a couple weeks ago, um, just before the the deal went through, and he was adamant that he wants to uh, that he that he does not want to go on loan. So uh, that's a big statement from from a young kid. We've seen a lot of young players. Um, sign with big clubs and and uh, and then you know go go to a smaller team to get some experience. We saw it with Matt Miazga a couple of years ago. We've seen it with um, with other players as well. Eric Eric Palmer Brown, who signed with Man City uh, on a free transfer from Sporting Kansas City, is now going to his second team on loan since January. So certainly a, a trend. Um, but uh, Davies might be a bit different, and and you can see why he's, he's been so dominant in MLS this year at 17 years old. I don't think we've ever seen a player that age have that sort of impact uh, on MLS, and I'm curious what he can do at the next level.
1: Doug, Amon and I were discussing last episode about the value of his name in MLS. I don't... Talk about, you know, before this move to Bayern, how popular was Davies in MLS circles?
3: Well, I think the fact that he plays for a Canadian team, we've seen this before, but the fact that he plays in Vancouver... Um, and that he's a Canadian international and not, a, not an American means that I think a lot of MLS fans really don't know as much about him as, as, as they would if this was a young American kid. So uh, I think certainly this season, the way he sort of forced people to pay attention to him uh, has begun to change that a bit. And certainly the, the, the sort of numbers we're talking about with that transfer, um, you know, potentially doubling the, uh, the former record, which was set by uh, by Josie Altidore 10 years ago. When you're talking about a deal in the €20 million range, which is what we're talking about here for a 17-year-old, that's a major chunk of change anywhere in the world um, for a player that age. So, um, you know, I think that that's certainly making people take notice. And and, uh, if if Davies wasn't on the radar of a lot of casual MLS fans before, he certainly is now.
0: Doug, you would mentioned that you spoke with Davies over the the last uh, couple of weeks Uh, did you ever get any indication on why uh, why he's going to Bayern and not uh, I think I saw PSG was also rumored to be uh, in on him and may have submitted an offer did did he ever discuss why why Bayern was was the
3: right place for him no no he didn't actually and it's a good question it's a fair question it was uh, the timing was interesting I actually spoke to him uh about three days before the news broke broke that it was going to be Bayern munich or at least that Bayern had put in um a major offer and and even at that point things hadn't been completed so uh you know there have been reports that some of the top clubs in the world were were looking at him in fact more than reports um carl robinson the vancouver whitecaps coach came out publicly and said that that was the case but at the time we spoke we didn't we didn't know or at least i didn't know that um that byron uh was the team that uh you know was was going to end up getting him and I'm and frankly I'm not even sure Alfonso Davis knew for sure at that time I mean he said that it he really wasn't made aware of what was going on until a few days before um you know certainly his agents and and the club would have known but uh we didn't get into any any specifics like that but yeah I mean the, I don't think there was any question that um Bayern was not the only major major team um you know chasing chasing davies but uh you know he came out and said that they really put in the effort for him and that was the reason they got him they also had a plan and showed him exactly how they wanted to utilize him so i think in the end that's why uh byron got their man and certainly the transfer fee didn't help either but uh no no specifics on why uh why Bayern as opposed to one of the other clubs that maybe he could have had an opportunity to go to you know
2: now i find this uh this part this interesting um it was. This was an Emmanuel Vest's uh, article about uh, Alfonso Davies' transfer, and he talks about how a German journalist by the name of Christoph Biermann actually published a book titled Match Plan. And uh, in the book, it talks about how Alfonso Davies was statistically the most likely prospect in the world to become a superstar in the mold of Cristiano Ronaldo and Messi. The book was a major success in Germany and put Davies on the map uh, among clubs in, in the Bundesliga. Doug, have you heard anything about this book? Because I've been trying to find excerpts and stuff like that, but it just seems it just seems fascinating that uh, that the most likely prospect in the world to be a superstar of Christian Ronaldo, and Messi was playing in MLS.
3: Yeah, no, I, I haven't, uh, I haven't, I haven't read that book or, or heard of it. I did see that shortly after the, the deal with Davies was announced, the Vancouver Whitecaps social media team put out a series of tweets. Uh, obviously you know, trying to capitalize on the news and and, and interviews and, you know, quotes from everybody involved and whatnot. But one of the the tweets that they put out um, was talking about how a member of, um, you know, Vancouver's front office was at a a global conference and I think it was in Spain or somewhere in Europe and there were representatives from from top clubs around the world there, from all all the top European leagues. And an executive from a, a team in La Liga noticed, that this uh, employee of the Whitecaps was wearing his Whitecaps polo, walked up to him, you know, unannounced, and said, "Alfonso Davies, best uh, teenage prospect in the world, or words to that effect." Um, so certainly, he's a guy that has been on the radar, uh, you know, at least you know, for people that do this for a living and and know where uh, the top prospects are playing around the world. He's, he's been on the radar. I think it's pretty unfair to to, to say that any seventeen year old kid is gonna be the next Messier Ronaldo. Right. So I wouldn't get too carried away. I think that's I think that's a bit a bit uh hyperbole and, and a bit much at this point. He's he's a great young player. He's got a really bright future, but you know, there's a there's a long way to go before you can even begin to talk about him in the same breath as 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 for my money, two two of the very best players that have ever played the game. Um but 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 again, you know, people around the world that do this for a living knew who Davies was, and, and he's only going to make his name even more known, uh, I think, in the next few years.
1: Talk about how this is going to impact the Canadian Federation and Canadian soccer going forward.
3: Yeah, I think it's great for, for the Canadian national team, obviously, that hasn't qualified for a World Cup since 1986. And for the first time, they have a bona fide men's star, uh, in the making and, and, and maybe not even in the making. I mean, it's, it's crazy to think about. Um, but Alphonso Davies, is 17 years old. Uh, sorry, 16 years old, won the golden boot at the CONCACAF gold cup last year, which is just incredible to me. I mean, for, for a kid that age to be the leading scorer, he was the joint leading scorer in the tournament. Um, but he still, I think he played, you know, out of the, you know, between the two players, the tie, I can't remember who the other guy was off the top of my head. Um, but he had, the, he had the most goals in the fewest minutes, so he got the award. He's a Golden Boot winner at 16 years old in a major international competition. Uh, and, you know, I can hear all the people saying, oh, well, you know, Gold Cup is not a major international competition, especially an off-year Gold Cup where it's maybe not the first teams of, of every country, but certainly an impressive feat. So uh, he's a star for for Canada's national team, and, and it's funny. I asked him a bit about uh, the 2026 World Cup, which is obviously going to, be coming to the United States, Mexico, and Canada in a, in a joint bid um, eight years from now. And, and Davies was in Moscow and gave a speech uh, as part of the United Bid's presentation to the FIFA Cong- Congress. And I think a lot of people were very impressed um, with how eloquent he showed being such a young a young guy telling his story. Um, so I asked him, you know, does that kind of put a, a bit of bounce in your step, knowing for sure that you're going to have the opportunity to play in a world cup when you're just going to be 25 years old, you know, to play in a world cup in your home country. And he kind of laughed and said, you know, yeah, it's, it's great and everything. And I'm glad we won the bid, but right now I'm thinking about Qatar and 2022. Um, so I think that's the goal for the Canadian national team. I mean, the Canadian team, I think is, is, is a, is a squad and Canada is a country that, has not um, lived up to its potential on the international stage. They had a lot of good players for a lot of years. You think of guys like Dwayne De Rosario, who's excellent in MLS. A lot of other quality players um, that were playing in some, some very good leagues, and they were never able to really put it together as a national team. I mean, they didn't even make the final round, the hexagonal round of CONCACAF qualifying um, You know, for the last, the last 20 years. The 1998 cycle was the last time. Uh, that Canada was even in the final six in CONCACAF trying to get to a World Cup, which is a pretty astounding stat when you think of, you know, some of the other the other countries that have uh, made it in over the years. So, uh, I would certainly hope that Canada would at least get back to coming close to qualifying for a World Cup at some point. Um, and certainly they're looking at this next uh, tournament in Qatar four years from now uh, as something they want to make um, before they, you know, hopefully, and I think for sure, will get an auto bid along with the United States and and Mexico for for 2026.
0: And Doug, before we gave you a call, uh, Stephen Armand and I were discussing uh, Alfonso Davies versus Christian Pulisic. Whose ceiling is higher? Um, what is your take on that?
3: Yeah, that's a that's a bit of a loaded question, um, but fair a fair one. And one I've thought about a lot. <laughs> I mean, I think a question like how good is how good is Alfonso Davies? And I think the real answer is we're not going to know. Until he gets over to Germany, and we can see him uh, playing, you know, playing in the Bundesliga, playing against top top players. Uh, and I think I think he's going to have a harder time getting into Bayern's team than than even maybe Christian Pul- Pulisic did with Dortmund. I mean, Bayern is a step up from any team in Germany. It's the reason they've been so dominant uh, in the Bundesliga, and they're they're a team that's a, a, a contender to win the Champions League every single year. Uh, and, you know, Dortmund's a great team. Schalke a great team. Um, there, there's a, certainly a number of other top teams in Germany, but really Bayern is clearly uh, the, the, the best team and has been the best team in that league for a long time. Um, but I th- again, I really do think that he, he's, he can go over there and play. And I do think Bayern has looked at the success of young North American players in Christian Pulisic, in Weston McKenney being able to come over and start in that league as teenagers. I mean, Weston McKenney as a 19 year old helped Shaka finish second in that league behind Bayern last year. And we've all seen what, what Pulisic has done. And Christian Pulisic has been a starter for Dortmund since he was 17 years old. So why can't, why can't Davies who, you know, he's obviously a very dynamic player. I think he's a bit more physically gifted than, than Christian Pulisic is. Obviously Pulisic's a very, very, very good player, very smart player, and technical, and all that. And Davies is those things as well. Um, but uh, what, you know, time will tell. Uh, you know which which guy is uh, the better player. Uh, you have to give the nod to Christian Pulisic at this point because he's done it. He's, he's he's a proven player in the Bundesliga. He's he's scored goals in the Champions League. He started Champions League games against teams like Real Madrid. Uh, but I do think Davies' ceiling is is really high. it's going to be really fun to watch. Uh, all these guys, uh, and I'll throw Josh Sargent's uh, name in there as well, a uh, young American player, 18 years old, uh, in his first uh, season, at least first season, and he's eligible to play for Werder Bremen, another Bundesliga team. Uh, so exciting times for a North American teen- teenagers in Germany. There's no question about it.
2: Now, Doug, you mentioned how Byron noticed the uh, other North American players that came in as like Weston McKinney, like a Pulisic from the other German clubs, and we've seen them partner with FC Dallas. Um, there's actually uh, Chris Kapis and FC Dallas academy players actually with Bayern Munich right now, and it's actually not part of the partnership. We all know about Chris Richards, who's on loan with yep. Bayern Munich. Do you do you think all these uh, moves are kind are kind of uh, a move by Bayern Munich to emphasize, you know, like hey, like maybe this is a little undervalued, and we might we think there's a lot of talent around here. Let's go try to see uh, how much we can get.
3: Kind of like that? I think that Yeah, I think that's part of it. I mean, I think a lot of, a lot of European teams have looked at the North American market as, uh, as a place that they can, they can go and find talent, um, and, and talent that's, that's cheap in a lot of cases because of, of the, the way the system is here. I mean, we all know that McKinney um, left the FC Dallas Academy, to go over to Schalke and, and, you know, I think he'd spent seven years at the FC Dallas Academy and, and he goes over and, and, uh, and walks away for nothing. I mean, FCD didn't get a, didn't get a dime for, uh, for his training and, and you know, no solidarity payments or anything like that. And in the U S at least right now, uh, I did think it was interesting that, uh, that Vancouver, uh, sent a solidarity pair, uh, payment to, um, Alfonso Davis's youth, youth club in Edmonton, uh, after the, the deal was completed this week. Um, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's certainly some interest in, in North American players. It's a big talent pool. It's hard for MLS clubs to cover every inch of, uh, of a massive uh, continent. There's certainly the U S and Canada. And, um, and then there's the, the business side as well. I mean, Byron has an office in the United States, uh, in New York and, and there are other, you know, big clubs that do as well. So they, they, I think they see the marketing potential in the United States as well, but yeah, there's, there's, there's talent there, but, Before, you know, before these guys, uh, you know, we want to get too carried away. And and I thought Chris Richards did a very good job last night. He started against Manchester City uh, in in a pretty uh, exciting preseason friendly game in the the ICC, the International Champions Cup. And, uh, you know, had some nervous moments early. But I I thought, you know, for an 18 year old kid starting at center back against uh, some very, very good players from from the English champions, uh, pretty much held his own, especially as that game went on um but until they do it in real games and until they're actually playing in, in meaningful matches uh league games uh I, I, I wouldn't get too carried away um just yet a club like bayern munich has a lot of resources they they scour the earth for for players and they'll they'll buy a lot of them and 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 only a few of them pan out so uh you know i think i think having a bit of perspective is important when you're talking about uh young players like like those
2: Do you think it's kind of a, I don't know if it's the right word, but kind of a market inefficiency of sorts that, you know, there's no compensation and you can almost essentially like poach players uh, from academies without giving up any sort of compensation, kind of making it a, I guess, like you said, a a cheaper uh, way to get talent?
3: I think that's a factor. I mean, I think, You'd be silly to think that it's not. Um, I think it is a factor, and certainly a couple like Bayern can afford, uh, you know, can app- afford to, to pay compensation. But yeah, it does. I do think it's it's not an ideal situation, and it's not. Um, you know, I, I think it's something that, you know, it'll work its way through the legal system, and I think that you know there'll be determinations made if that's a system that's going to continue. But there's no question that, that it puts um, it puts American. Uh, academies at at a disadvantage i don't think there's any question about that and and uh you know certainly it, it removes one piece of uh incentive to you know to, to invest in youth development if uh if there's there's not going to be compensation but uh we'll we'll see how that plays out in, in the next number of years um, but yeah i mean I, I do think that 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 is a market inefficiency uh you know to use your words i do
1: doug last question here and this is also a loaded question, but are there any names floating around MLS that could be the next Davies or even a, a youngster that we should keep an eye out on?
3: I think there's a lot of youngsters that we, we should keep an eye out on uh, in MLS. And, and it's interesting, that, you know, the World Cup obviously ended uh, two weeks ago today and, and a number of people, including myself, kind of, you know, once it was over, Started looking ahead to Qatar, and and obviously I covered the U.S. national team and and uh, you know put out you know put out a a projected roster uh, that I'm sure will be extremely wrong uh, as you would expect four years in advance, more than four years in advance. You know what the U.S. squad, what what the 23 man squad for 2022 could look like uh, if the United States qualifies. Of course, no no guarantees there, as we all know now. Um, uh, And there were a number of guys that you know I looked at that are Are very young players that are playing in MLS, and I'll give you two names uh, to to leave you with. And uh, I saw both of them play last night. I don't know if you guys caught the the FC Dallas uh, Sporting Kansas City game. Uh, Armin, I'm sure Mm -hmm. you did for sure.
2: Yeah, but absolutely.
3: uh, Yeah, yeah. But you 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 know you you look at uh, Reggie Cannon, the right back Mm -hmm. from FC Dallas. He's a guy that has a ton of a ton of speed um and uh and you know the u s has not produced a lot of fullbacks over the years it's been a and that's still the case i mean there's not a there's not a ton of depth at depth at fullback um in the u s when we look back to qualifying you had uh, you had Graham Zuzzi playing in games we've we've seen converted midfielders uh in the past look at the last World Cup Fabian Johnson and other guy that's probably a natural midfielder goes back into the back line. DeMarcus Beasley, career midfielder, gets pushed uh, into left back, and and you can go on and on. I mean, you can go back a number of World Cups, the 2006 World Cup. Uh, Bobby Convey's playing as a fullback, another midfielder, even 2002, to to go way, way back, that great run that the U.S. had way back then. Um, Two converted midfielders at the fullback spots even then, and Tony Sana and, uh, and Frankie Haddock. So, um, so yeah, it's good to have uh, some, some real uh, good uh, prospects, uh, outside-back prospects in MLS. Danilo Acosta, uh, a guy uh, that plays for Real Salt Lake, um, you know, for my money, one of the best teams in the league at developing young, young talent. I think he's, a, he's an interesting player as a left-back. Uh, and a guy, uh, again, that we saw last night in uh, Jalen Lindsay, 18 years old, uh naturally right footed player but playing left back uh for for, for sporting Kansas City uh for, for Peter Vermese um and I, I thought he was very good last night. Uh, uh and you know for an eighteen year old to be starting in any any you know professional back line in the world is impressive. Um and I think it's pretty good to see now in MLS because I think in years past we haven't seen a ton of teenage players um that are getting playing time and making a mark in MLS or at least we haven't seen enough of those guys. And I think that's starting to change. We're seeing guys like Tyler Adams with the Red Bulls, uh, you know, now established, uh, established, uh, an established player in this league. Davies that we spent a good portion of, of you know, this pod talking about. Um, so that's a good thing because you look around the world and, and different leagues, and you see uh, you see young guys breaking through at young ages that's a good thing. And, uh, you know, the knock on American players has always been there. It can be a bit of, uh, you know, they're late developers for a number of reasons. And you certainly see that with players coming out of college, but I think it's encouraging that we're seeing younger players coming through and breaking into the first teams, having, you know, come out of uh, the academy systems and, um, I'm hopeful and I'm confident that we're going to see more of that, uh, as the years go by here.
0: Doug, thank you so much for joining us today tell the listeners where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter and any other social media platform you want to plug away.
3: Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me guys. A real pleasure chatting with you. I'm, I'm at Doug Mac, uh, by Doug McIntyre on Twitter. Uh, and you can just, you can find me at Yahoo sports, uh, and we'll be doing a lot of, uh, a lot of us men's national team coverage this fall. number of high profile, uh, friendly matches coming up, starting uh, in September, with games against brazil mexico uh the year's going to end with games against italy and england um so a, a lot of stuff to look forward to before the end of the year and uh hope you guys check it out
1: we will we look forward to it. and thanks uh, for coming on doug chat soon i guess you got it
3: guys anytime anytime pleasure pleasure thank you
1: I recommend reading Doug McIntyre's stuff. He's real inside fault, definitely good with the U.S. men's national team. But guys, turning the page to something quite interesting regarding U.S soccer, and it's quite controversial. and before we even be polarizing, polarizing, controversial, political, before we even get to what we're talking about, I didn't want to mention that we're not here for sound bites. We're actually here to have a dialogue to have an in-depth conversation. Maybe our opinions will disagree among the three of us. But listeners, particularly with you, we're trying to bring depth to the table. Okay, This is not cable news where it is shouting at each other and we invite polarizing guests for ratings purposes and to show everybody how morally acceptable we are compared to everybody else. This is not what we're here for. It's actually to have a conversation. Yes, this is sports. It's very simple. Yes, there's a lot of yelling. You can go to ESPN first take for that. But what we're trying to talk about here is U.S. soccer. And U.S. soccer is, is complex. Just go to my discussion on lower division soccer. It's not about the banter pro-rail for USA 24-7. No, it was about marketing. It was about the players. It was about the financial structure of... Of it all, and what does U.S. soccer want? What about MLS? It's complex. So this next conversation here is complex. It's in depth. Now, Armand, let's let's just go to you, and you tell us the timeline, so then we can jump into the conversation from there. Because we got to timeline this first and introduce this topic.
2: yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, it's been a really hot topic. I mean. Been paying attention to soccer on Twitter uh, around uh, U.S. Women's Soccer. It's been a hot topic, and it's about A. Hinkle. She plays for North Carolina Courage. Uh, she's an outside back, um, and it, it's, it's a really complex and interesting situation. So Jalenae, uh, she's really she's actually been really good. She was called up to the national team and has made eight caps in 2015. But in 2017, uh, she was called up again. Uh, for international friendlies against Sweden and Norway, but she did not attend. Mm-hmm. And the reasoning she gave was personal reasons. And we're uh, to give some background, in June, it is Pride Month, and uh, the U.S. soccer team wears rainbow jerseys on the back. Uh, she goes on the 700 Club. She says, I just felt so convinced in my spirit that it wasn't my job to wear this jersey Citing the 2017 Friends in the 700 Club, for y'all that don't know, is um, just taking us off Google. A talk show featuring guest news and spiritual stories from a Christian perspective. And it's hosted by Pat Robertson, uh, who has some very mm, interesting opinions. <laughs> They're Inter- interesting, there. interesting opinions. They're out there. <laughs> That's all I'm gonna say. They're interesting opinions. Um, and, 20- and now, let's flash forward. Why is it an issue now? Why are we talking about this now? She was actually called up to a women's national team uh, training camp for the Tournament of Nations, uh, which marked her first call up from a team since withdrawing from the camp in 2017. And she was not called up – or she was not – she was cut from a team, plain and simple. And it's really interesting because when I was reading about this topic, a, a lot of people – even people who are against what she – what uh, they believe is the homophobia that uh, she promotes it is – they're saying she's good enough. They're saying that the fullback is a problem position for the U.S. women's national team. This is from the SB Nation article by uh, Kim McCauley. Uh, people are really skeptical that it was only soccer re- reasons. And many people say it's she's a really good tactical fit for the team. And that she's the a more attacking and better fullback. So the question behind this is now, is it yay for U.S. soccer for cutting – uh, someone uh, who does not agree with uh, LGBTQ? Or are they reverse blackballing her or reverse Colin Kaepernicking her her uh, as what's going on with Colin Kaepernick right now in the NFL? And guys, uh, wh- wh- what are your thoughts on that? I think it's just a very fascinating situation that U.S. soccer find themselves in.
1: Jake, before we get into the conversation, I, wanna, I wanted to mention this is not about the LGBTQ community versus the Christian right. This is USSF versus this player. So from Hinkle's actions, uh getting called up and then refusing to wear the jersey, therefore she declined the call up. Let's begin there, guys. Was that the right decisions? Armand, you do have some sort of quote on why she did it.
2: Uh she goes and she says on the seven hundred club, I just I felt so convicted in my spirit that wasn't my job to wear this jersey. I gave myself three days to seek and pray and determine what he was asking me to do in the situation. I knew in my spirit I was doing the right thing. I knew I was being obedient. I mean, if she wanted to reject it, I mean, she can. It, it's her belief. I'm not going to criticize someone. Uh, I'm not going to criticize someone's faith. I guess, but I don't. I don't I don't agree with it but at the same time I'll agree that the way that I think we talked about it Stephen the way that she went about it you know going on the 700 club and just kind of proclaiming
1: it's the world well my biggest issue is that she she talks about you know being christian and coming out and praying about it fine that's good my issue is it, it it's counterproductive in today's society on what she did in the grand scheme of things, I think she made a mistake. She should have put on the damn shirt and she should have said, listen, I don't agree with this lifestyle or whatever she, she disagrees with and and tells people, look, I still represent America. I still love these people and I'm going to do it out of compassion. And I, you know, I'm going to share the gospel or whatever she may want to. But it, it, in today's society, in putting it in context, it just makes you roll your eyes, and it's another player, and it's another controversy. But the U.S. Soccer Association's reaction to it is also wrong. And, Armand, when we chatted over the phone, I said that two wrongs don't make a right. That This is how I judge it as. Two wrongs don't make it right. What she did to me, personally, was a mistake. Okay? I think she it's went wrong. about it the wrong way. Mm-hmm. But the way that U.S. soccer has treated her and the backlash they received online, I I think is also fair to question and makes U.S. soccer, you know, just wave the flag and not have any principles when it's, let me just, you know, lick my finger. Okay, the wind's pointing that direction. Therefore, that's the decisions we're going to make. I think that's not a good sum- sign either because it kind of sums up where U.S. soccer's head is. Oh, you you know, it's like the GM position. Apples and oranges comparison here, but it was because the fans were calling for it. Again, U.S. soccer licks their finger, puts it up in the air. That's the way the wind is blowing. Therefore, let's go with that decision. No, is that a bad comparison? Tell me wrong. Like, you know, I'm up for disagreement.
0: I, I kind of disagree with you that it's a bad look for U.S. soccer to... Blackballer is that is that what the word we're using? Yeah, blackball. I mean, re- reverse Colin Kaepernick. Re- reverse Colin Kaepernicking her. In, in one sense, I mean, by all means, she has every right to believe or say whatever she wants to say. This is America; she can choose to not want to represent her country when they're putting, um, what's the right? i do don't don't putting a rainbow pride statement on the the back of the shirt. If she, doesn't, if she wants to stick to sports, because that's basically what she's saying, is I want to stick to sports. I don't want to represent <laughs> <don't want> <laughs> yeah, she, she, anything more than sports. Yeah. Well, hold on here. Let me finish. She can do that, and she has every right to do that. However, it does not protect her from consequence. Now, at the end of the day, what is U.S. soccer, most notably the women's side? Well, I shouldn't say most notably the women's side. What is U.S. soccer trying to accomplish when they're putting these teams on a field and they're showcasing them in front of – you know 20 30 40,000 people in in the stadium. What what what's their goal? It's to make USA. No, it's to make money. It's not oh, okay. USA, fair, it's to fair, make money. Yeah, They're okay. trying to make money. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it's not a good look for US soccer to say, look at this player we have here. Uh one of our I don't I don't know if prominent is the right word, but look at this player we have in our starting lineup, one of our our fullbacks. That is not supportive of the LGBTQ community.
3: But think about
0: world. think about the backlash that causes, though. Think okay. of the backlash in certain dog. I mean, it's, you know, soccer.